Okay, welcome to the latest edition of Ed Talks, although it's a bit of a wider remit really than just talking about um, the conveyancing process. Um, I'm sitting here with um, Peter Ambrose, who's the CEO of the Property Partnership, business with 85 employees, 25 lawyers, uh, each with an assistant. Um, but I think I'm right in saying, um, now you're CEO of the Property Partnership, I think there's another thing that you're doing as well, Legalito, is that right? We are, yeah, it's a new business called Legalito. I'm totally separate from the law firm, but based on the ideas that we've been developing in the software world um, with the business, and what we've decided to do is take that out to other lawyers because we felt that whilst we're doing brilliant stuff, that's not good enough. And we have to share that work that we've done without something patronising. And we had to share it with other law lawyers. So that's what we've been doing. Well, it does make sense. I have to say the idea that people who found some kind of a solution that works need to be, and we'll talk about solutions in a minute, uh, as solutions to what, um, clearly something that's generic and can be rolled out with other solicitors is, is clearly a good idea. And it's really difficult. Um, a few people have tried it, not very successfully, this whole idea of a single network where people can share information. And the problem they've always come from is that um, they don't fully understand the issues that lawyers face on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, let's talk about this for a moment because I wrote um, a deliberately popular article <laughs> on Property Industry I recently saying that solicitors could be paid on success. Yeah. And fairly understandably, you were there underneath saying, well, it doesn't quite work like that. Um, but I think, I, I think you were not unreceptive to the idea. And then we did talk in, we did one of these actually in December 2020, when I think we were probably just coming out of lockdown or going into another one or whatever it was. So I think, first of all, let's just talk about what we think or what you think has changed in the conveyancing process, because there's been a lot of stuff going on in the meantime. Oh, no, sorry, there's been a lot of hot air. <laughs> since then. But has anything actually changed over the last three years? Being really blunt, not really. Um, you'd think that in the pandemic world where everyone was working remotely that people would have gone paperless, uh, they would have been more efficient, they'd have better case management systems. Um, from what we found, nothing's changed, which is actually quite depressing. And what's happened is I think the only overall trend that we've seen has been a movement towards the self-employed model, a bit like an agency. Um, and I personally believe that that's been a bit challenging. Um, certainly we find where people are self-employed, when they're working as consultants, it's quite difficult uh, to get in touch with them because they're just working by themselves. I think that's been a, a, a macro change and that's quite challenging. Now, whether it's going to carry on, I don't know, but that's, that's the one area that we've seen. Has Was that pandemic related? And then oh, is it going to reverse? Like, um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, it doesn't show any signs of it. Um, I think there was a trend anyway. I think a lot of, like a lot of things um, with the pandemic, it just accelerated what was happening. People getting frustrated of working within the, the very structured organisation of a law firm and said, oh, I can do better, I can keep more of the money myself. Totally understand it. And, um, and for very experienced lawyers, it works really well. Yeah, for, for lawyers like that, where they can take their own sort of client base with them and get recommendations, that's fine. Yeah. But the issue that keeps getting referred to and, and, and the measure of the way that the convincing market is changing or not changing <laughs> is clearly the length of time it takes yeah. from, from, from agreed to. Now, where do you see that average at the moment? Do you, well, for, do you have for, my firm, yeah, for, my, for my firm, we do it in about 13 and a half weeks. 13 but and a half we weeks. know we're fast. Okay, um, national average, we're still seeing figures of 22 weeks out there. It's uh, the only thing I think that's a big thing that hasn't changed is that the, um, the speed of the transaction hasn't. But do you not think 13 and a half weeks is a bit too long? Oh, god, yeah, 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah so, so bearing in mind that we've got, and I don't know whether you've been involved with, I haven't, I've been peripherally involved with things like the house selling and buying group yeah. and all this sort of thing. Yeah. Um, what are you looking at and thinking are the things that need to be changed? And whether that's perhaps what you're doing with Legal Eto, I don't know. But... 100%. Um, I believe fervently, I've been doing it, we've, we've moved about 30,000 people over the last 10 years. So we know roughly what we're talking about. The biggest area of problems um, is the middle bit. It's not really the onboarding. It's not really the electronic signatures, which is the only area where we've seen any sort of changes. It's that bit in the middle where we've been given the information, we're now trying to work out what information is missing. That's where the problem is. So when we hear talk about things like upfront information, could that make a difference? Absolutely. In terms of if we can get that information more quickly, that would help reduce the amount of questions that we have to ask. This is where the problem is. In, in my, I'm, when I look at what my lawyers do, what well, their key things, they spend time on raising inquiries, responding to inquiries, and reporting to clients. That's and, what they do. And as a, as a business with the property partnership, um, sorry, with the partnership, um, where do your averages lie? Are you on uh, mostly on buyers or sellers? Are you equally split? Um, it, it's interesting, it's changed. Um, we used to be about 60 40 buyer to seller just because of the nature of where our work came from. Um, now it's about 50-50, so it's on both sides. But what's really interesting is that our sales are slower than our purchases. So our sales on average are taking about 14 and a half weeks. Our purchases are about a week faster, which means we're driving the deal a bit quicker. Okay, now, obviously, um, I've been looking at all of this stuff, and it's, it's, it's simply because I've been involved with it for so long, and I was sort of, sort of lucky enough to be in my estate agency career to be in a central London operation where people were prepared to sort of pay for 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 speed yeah. is really the best yeah. way of describing it, I suppose. Yeah. And also we know that the pandemic has slightly skewed things and that the market is perhaps returning to what may be described as something as a, as, mm. as, as a bit more normal at the yeah. moment. Yeah. Um, a lot of the talk has been around, as you say, onboarding and for everybody in the process to have one source of truth yes. so that when they go to verify um, a an ID yeah. that is then used by all the parties. Yeah. That that isn't changing as far as you know. <sighs> it's a real shame. We did some great work with a firm called Yorkies. I don't know if you know those guys, they're now being bought by Zoopla. Um, and what they did was they were focusing on new builds, they would get all the ID, all the paperwork, it would come straight through our system to our system, and it was brilliant. Worked really, really well. Um, that's the only thing that I've seen so far that's actually worked in terms of sharing information. Yes, I mean, I have, come across, I mean, I have come across your keys. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and again, a problem which we'll touch on, I've no doubt, in a minute, and it may be that Legal Eater is something that can help sort this out, is the issue of people having different case management systems and how no, they can get things Exactly. Into it. Yeah, um, that's exactly and, the problem. And, it's, it's one of those things where I've always wished there was a sort of Star Trek-style universal translator. <laughs> yeah. so, so the stuff that comes in in one system can be adapted, looked at, and put into another system. I think one of the problems is, is that, and, and the core problems, which are very, it's very difficult to solve, is we're dealing with unstructured information. You know, if you look at how you buy a flat, as you know from your time in London, um, that's the problem in that one, the one, a management company can describe things in one way, another one will describe things in totally different ways. And we spend a lot of our time working out when these documents arrive, what on earth are they and are they valid? And that's the problem. There is no standard. Can we fix that? No. And I think trying to fix it is a bit hopeless, but what we can do is we can streamline the way that we get the information in and at least process it. Because that's the problem. You, everyone's sort of saying, oh, we need to have a standard way of uh, describing certain documentation, categorization. We're looking at AI technology for that to be able to scan documents and categorize them. 
but that's only half the problem. The other bit is finding the gaps in that information, and that's where the inquiry section comes in and says, I've got gaps in this information, how do I fill in those gaps? But would it help? I mean, there are two elements in terms of upfront information, because a lot of attention is being given to upfront information at the moment, obviously, as, as you well know. Yeah. Um, one of the things is about people putting money in to commit, so buyers, yeah. if you can somehow get them. And I think, as you know, I, I, I wrote another piece about it. There's a guy called Phil Priest up in, up in yeah. Cheshire who's four been corners. doing a thing, yeah, Four Corners, where yeah. they've been taking deposits yeah. uh, from buyers, and they've found an extraordinary correlation between, um, between how people who simply paid their 250, 300 quid up front for a search, um, not that it's given them any more information at all, but that commitment seems to have yeah. worked. And then the other thing is that surely it would help you if, and this is a very difficult thing because the majority of people live in flats, so they have managing agents, which obviously, which, which, which makes the process often more difficult. Surely to have that information from managing agents, I'm sure that's one of your biggest gaps, oh. is in getting information from managing agents. So yeah. if an owner goes before they're going to put their property on the market, their, their flat on the market, and goes to their managing agent and gets the info, surely that bit of it's going to have to help. It, it, it must do. I mean, we started off life as a home information back provider. And, um, and my, where I saw the biggest area of gain was management information packs. Is that where that's your business, is that where the partnership started? That's where it originated, yeah. 2007, we started doing home information packs. Well, I'm glad something good came yeah. <laughs> in that case. At, at the time, I think, I mean, I was definitely... Well, you remember a splinter, weren't you? Well, yes, before. yes, I was definitely anti it. Um, and, and I think... I think for the right reasons at the time, mm. in that the it was difficult. It was difficult to get the information. Now, theoretically, it is easier. But I do say theoretically because if you've ever tried to get information out of a management company, they really haven't changed for twenty years. And I think that's the problem. Someone said to me, "Oh, if you could fix getting information out of if you could standardise getting information out of management companies, that would be amazing." And I'm like, I'm not even. Do you think that's the biggest that. problem? I think it's a huge problem here. Huge problem with flats. Um, I mean, the other elements of it is general information about the property. I think that, um, you know, even there's no such thing as a simple sale anymore. No, but most people know that the things you need to know about are obviously any outstanding borrowings on the property. And then you need to know about things that are going on in terms of planning, building regs. That's just okay, because you can get that from a lot of people. So, for example, when clients come to us when they're buying and they say, is there any planning in the area? We always say, go to the council website, have a look. And people have, don't have an issue with that. And that, that's actually quite good now. So that people, and I think that has really improved over the last 10 years with local authority information. So stuff like planning becomes, is less of an issue now. I'll tell you where a big problem, defective leases. Yeah, I'm buying a, a top floor flat and there's a, a roof terrace and I don't own it, but I think I do. And that sort of thing. Defective leases are problematic. And of course, what you need from that is you need someone to interpret it. And that's where it gets a little bit tricky. And our concern about upfront information is people might get this information and get spooked by it. Because you know, having pushed through loads of deals, everything's solvable. But everything is solvable. Everything's obviously everything is solvable. <laughs> yeah. But I do think there's been a and I've got to be careful how I say this, but I think there's been a slight diminution perhaps in the quality of some of the people that work within the agents because they've got used to just farming leads that have come in. It hasn't helped over the last two or three years with, with COVID. Yeah. They're just farming leads that come in and doing deals and passing them on, on to the next one. Now they're perhaps having to go back to being a bit more of the sort of divorce counsellor, the driver, yeah. Yeah. The, the advisor. There's so much more that's required when you're an estate agent to push deals. And, and with lawyers as well now. Yeah. And that we're seeing, so, you know, I mean, I hate to say it, but I will say it, Building Safety Act. 
you know, we've got a situation, we had a deal yesterday fell through and the agent got really frustrated with us and it was a very reputable agent and they got really frustrated, well, surely you could have fixed it. Well, I, we couldn't because we do need a certificate from the landlord and we can't fix that. And so as lawyers, we're now, and you do see a lot of people online going, oh, it's really unfair, we're having to be this, having to be that. It's like, well, yes, you are. But that's the life of a lawyer now, like an agent. And I think where we see the problems is to have those sorts of skills is really tough with lawyers, especially very inexperienced lawyers that we're seeing. You know, and we are seeing this. There's, there's, you can't shy away from it. It's, well, I can't help tricky. feel that with all this, um, for exactly the reasons you've just stated, that you, sometimes you can't do, you, you can't get the actual certificate you need because, and often it's because the landlord or the managing agent are not necessarily incompetent, but they're absent and it's very difficult yes. to hold them. Yeah. What I think is becoming so much more important in the property game is having a, an audit trail of stuff you're doing to manage. Uh -huh. So yeah. one of the things that, for instance, we, we've been, been involved with at my business at Viber is doing fire door checks. And a lot of people um, have been slow to start doing fire door checks because nobody has come in and been busted yet. No one's right. actually had a case. The moment someone's busted, <laughs> everyone else is going to go, oh my God, we're going to do this. Yes. But the point is, for those that are doing it, they're, they're, they're giving themselves an audit trail. They're saying, right, well, we are doing this. And we're sending someone in to check them, to look at them, whatever it is. Yeah. That is an audit trail. And, and I know from my time at Douglas & Gordon, in its proper previous incarnation, um, we had an issue with our, with our block management side at one time with fire. And it's a real, it's frightening, it's dangerous. Yeah. So when yeah. it comes to other bits of a leasehold trail for management, having that information and keeping it, I think most people when they buy a flat, they don't understand how important that audit trail is going yeah. to be for that when they come yeah. to sell it. They just don't think about it. Yeah. This is great. Yeah. And they, they bury all the bits and pieces to do with the paying their service charge. They just pay it. Yeah. They think, well, I don't want anything to do with that. You know? <laughs> yeah. And actually keeping an audit trail, keeping information could possibly for your certificate, if someone had said, well, we've inquired here, there, or everywhere, this is the copy we had five years ago, whatever it might be, there could be something that buyers, if they're better advised by their agents when they buy it. The agent, when they, when they sell a property to someone, might just say, just make sure you keep a file with everything in it. Keep all your correspondence. Speak to your managing agent once a year, whatever I, I, I think this is exactly it. I mean, we, you know, it's like the discussions about property logbooks. Um, in principle, a great idea. Um, I was involved in a discussion with the association actually a few weeks ago about this. The problem with it, like everything to do with properties, is it's far more complicated than unfortunately it seems. You know, the idea of storing all this information electronically in one place is brilliant. And we're sitting there going, that's a fantastic idea. And then one of them, I remember one of the, the people uh, popped up and said, uh, GDPR? And you're like, oh, yeah, of course, of course. What information are we stored? Right to be forgotten? And all this kind of horrible legal technicality. And we see this. I mean, we have people coming to us saying, you know, uh, issuing subject access requests on their files. But do you not think GDPR too? I'm old enough to roll my eyes at GDPR. <laughs> Do you think it's a little rubbish or do you we, think... I'll tell you something, right? We get, we have people that will, I won't say regularly, but frequent enough for us to say, oh, that will quote this at us. We, we do get this. Now, whether they follow through or not, and we are really careful with this stuff. And the problem is, like all these things, we're sitting there going, oh, all it takes is one case, like you were saying. I mean, you look at chancel indemnity, okay? We've been buying chancel insurance, all right, for the last, was it 17 years now, I'll say, and there's only been one case. And you said, okay, how many millions do we, I mean, on my firm alone, we spend about, um, about 250,000 pounds a year on this. 
Yeah, I, I don't, mean, I don't think a lot of agents watching this will actually understand <laughs> what, a, what an indemnity is. But we used to use them, or we used to recommend that the solicitors we worked with yeah. use them. And they did, and they got quotes. For certain things, it's okay. Has it become much more expensive to get those? Um, it is expensive. Well, it depends. I mean, you know, chance of repair is the big one. When it's things like absent landlord or defective lease, uh, defective title, um, it, it's, it's not... It's not particularly expensive, but it's very irritating and people take real issue with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it is a quick fix. So, for example, we take out insurance for remortgages. Yeah. Why would you search it on a remortgage? You've already bought the house once. Um, but some people sort of go, oh, some lenders go, oh, I'm not sure about it. Well, and your opposite number solicitor might take it. Well, they might as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I'm, I'm interested anyway, over the last 17 years, <laughs> chance of insurance. I mean, yes. is it, has it. How's it gone up? Not very much. It's still about seventeen pounds, which isn't. But I mean, it is ridiculous. It is. It is ridiculous that people don't sometimes understand how many other ways there are to solve these sort of issues. Well, to be fair, I mean, yes, insurance does work. The uh, the issue we find is, of course, is when you try and buy properties that have had so many policies against them, then they become unmortgageable, and that's where it gets picked. Oh, we'll just layer on another insurance policy, and it's a bit like. So it does okay. Get a bit so cheap. so what else? So so in terms of. The article that I wrote about yeah. about about solicitors being paid on success. You, there's a lot, and, and there was a lot of responses to your article where people said, "Look, come on, where are you living? There's a lot of no sale, no fee out there." And there is. I mean, we we're often asked, "Do we do no sale, no fee?" Now we don't, uh, as a rule. But some people but do. A lot of people do. Yeah, okay. a lot of a lot of the larger firms do um, because they've got the volumes to support it. Um, does it change behaviour? I don't personally think so. I think people, the lawyers will go, we're trying to get the deal through and that's great. Um, and if it doesn't, it doesn't. If um, they were paid more? If they were paid more, they could run fewer cases. And this is the fundamental mistake that people make. If instead of charging £300 a case, which is what a lot of people are doing work at now, I just interviewed a candidate this morning, she goes, I'm fed up with doing panel work at £300 a case. Okay, And so they, if they paid more, then you have fewer cases. How many cases would the £300 person be? Typically about 100 all at once. Yeah. Oh my God. By themselves without decent case management and paper. That's That's why it's taking so long. It, it, that's why it's taking so long. Because, and I, and I know this because a lot of the lawyers I've taken or I've employed come from these panel based firms. Okay, but the big firms you talk about, yeah. no sell, no fee, we know that about yeah. 30-35% of deals fall through. Yeah. So if the lawyer was being paid, say, twice as much, yeah. um, they would probably, that percentage, I, do you think that percentage would go down? I think it would. Fewer cases uh, make deals go quicker. I think they would. There is, there is this argument, and we've, we've been looking at the numbers, and it's a really difficult and controversial issue, um, is do delays kill deals? Okay, and, and in theory, it sounds like they do. Okay, and as I say, we've been looking at it, and, and actually, the majority of deals, obviously the majority go through, but when you look at the delays, it's actually a smaller proportion that are caused by delay than right at the beginning. More deals fall through at the beginning, and you know this is a major Well, I do, <laughs> I do. But if you talk to a Richard Rawlings or a Julian yeah. Odell, they'll tell you as trainers that the longer the deal goes on, the more oh, the shine there is of it falling a through. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But proportionally, okay, you're absolutely right. If a deal goes on for four months, someone's circumstance is going to change, they'll find a different house. But when you look statistically at the numbers of long deals, so we, we count a long deal that's anything over 100 days, okay? If you look at those that fall through, yes, more do fall through, but that's not our average deal length. Okay. So it's a bit controversial. But. So, so there is an argument that more, if you paid lawyers more, so how do we persuade the public? Because the problem you have as lawyers is 
you're advertising to a B2C market. So you're not purple bricks, or as they yeah. used to be. You can't spend four or five million quid a month on, <laughs> on, on taking TV ads out to say, guys, pay 500 quid instead of 300 quid and yeah. you're, 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 you're going to get a better service. Because people, people on, the, on the buying side, certainly, people on the selling side tend to have been through the process and yeah. they bought it. So they yeah. know a little bit more about how it works. But yeah. for a lot of buyers, it might be the first time they've ever done it. They just have no idea. They just assume, A, they also assume that when they when their office building set, they think they bought it. They bought it. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, they've got no idea that they've got up to 20 weeks, <laughs> half a year more of, of heartache to come. A nightmare. So what we've been talking here, I'm very aware of the fact that most people listen to this, they listen for sort of 20, 25 minutes, so I don't want to go on too much longer. Okay. So what would you say to those people who are buying if you wanted to persuade them to, to make sure that the process that they're about to engage in, that they do it right? Yeah. Um, I mean, first, to take issue with your point about it's a B2C business. Lawyers actually don't promote themselves to consumers apart from a few comparison sites. Okay, there's a few people that rely on that. Okay, the, the, the most lawyers are getting work through uh, referrals from agents and brokers and so forth. Okay, so there's a problem there in that they don't have the opportunity to position themselves to the consumer to say, look, if you use us, we have a lower caseload, therefore we'll have more time to speak to you. But my advice would certainly be, if you're looking to choose a lawyer, you have to look at caseloads. You know, there is, this, there is this idea, and sometimes people say, you should never pick a lawyer that's been recommended by an agent. I fundamentally disagree with that. Because the agent, unless they're in this tied relationship where yeah, they get no, there, but let's put that aside. Why would they recommend a doctor? I get quite frustrated when people say, oh yes, well we always say, don't, don't have a, an, an agent recommendation. Why wouldn't you? The agent wants to get it through. And so I would always, one of my questions would be, if you're looking for a lawyer, um, I, I don't buy the local argument either. Oh, you need a local person that knows the local market. You see some of this in London, whereby people from outside the town might have problems with flood issues and so forth in Docklands and things like that. But in general terms, it's got to be, how recently have you known someone that's used them? How many cases do they run? And how do, what's your first impressions? So what would be the right number? How many cases there What are? we found with two people, we run about 60 cases. So that's a lawyer and an assistant. And a lawyer and assistant, full-time, 60, 60 cases. cases. We find out that we're highly mechanised, okay? Everything's paperless, and we find anything over 60 is too much. Anything less than 50, they're kicking their heels a bit. But I think when you see lawyers running cases, and you'll see people say they're running cases by themselves with paper files, 80, 90 cases, I think that's too many from experience. Okay, so that's a very, very good point at which to say that's the line you can draw. I think know. so, I think it's fair, and, and, I say, and that's from our experience, because yeah. we've found that when it goes over a certain point, we, we see service levels drop off. Yeah. I mean, it. I'm nervous of the tide. I, I'm aware that some, some, of the big, some of the big corporate agents make almost half as much from referrals as they do, and for, as they do from agency. So that's a very important part of what they do. But it must be quite nerve wracking for some of those businesses when, when the referral business is up for is up for debate mode. I mean there are oh. talk and there's talk about referrals being I mean there's three there's been illegal. in the last year one of the largest agencies in this country has worked with three three law firms that have all gone bust okay and uh, is there a connection uh, I mean the three one's one's unlucky two whatever say three that's a trend so would that be for the reasons you were articulating earlier? You just think that they're people who are trying to do too much with too little? Yeah, too much volume, yeah. And yeah. when the volume then tilts a little bit, when it comes off a little bit, 10, 20%, whatever, you run out of cash. 
Yes, because if you are an agent and you're recommending someone and they don't do the work, you're going to say, look, mate, you I'm not going to give the work yeah, to you anymore because, right. you, yeah. you know, whether you're yeah. tied or not. Yeah. Okay, well, look, I think that's been that's been useful. I think most people have a, have a certain time. I'm, I'm fascinated by the length of time, the time, the, yeah. the caseload information. That's really useful. Um, how do you think legal detail? I mean, we've spoken before and I've given you some information about data rooms and these yeah. the people I really like, pitfalls and all these sort of things, people yeah. where people can keep upfront data. Mm. What does legal detail do? That's, that sits that's on top of that. So basically what we're doing is we're sitting there saying, look, give us the information. We're going to raise inquiries of the seller. And then what, what legal detail is designed to do, and it's hearts and minds, it's not really a technology issue, it's a hearts and minds issue, is allows the other side to track exactly what's going on in terms of their questions. You know, as an ex-agent, one of your biggest challenges is when you're in the middle of a deal and you want to know what's going on. Or they go, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So we've always we've always managed inquiries centrally, electronically. What we're now saying is we've seen the benefits of this. So what we're now doing is we're interacting with other law firms directly, saying these are the questions, they're replying directly. We can then share that information with our clients and share it with the agents. And, and it's it's amazing. We've been doing it for a couple of months now. Um, already we had 60 firms. I mean, I'm quite surprised. We've had 60 firms that go, you know what, I'll do that. We're like, wow. So anyone that's sitting there thinking, oh, lawyers don't change, lawyers will change if there's a good enough solution for it. Yeah. And so, and that's what we're trying to do. Such a simple problem, yeah? I, as buyer's lawyer, ask 10 questions. I get five answers back, three of which are to follow. The other two, we're gonna ask our clients and the other five they ignore. Just finding out where the gaps are in those questions incredibly difficult and the way that lawyers do it at the moment is remarkably inefficient and I yeah, use that yeah. in so the you're trying to make well. that process more efficient okay well look Peter thank you it's been really helpful um, I mean clearly I, I like talking to you because you're someone who's got a lot of experience you you deal with a lot of deals so therefore you're not talking um, you're not talking theoretically no um, I love the way that whenever there's an article about this on, on property industry, you're in there making comments and you're never afraid to, to, to tackle those things head on. Um, unlike me, you tend to say things because they're the way they are. I tend to say things occasionally because I just want to provoke a, de a, a, a debate of some sort. So thank you very much for taking the time. Um, I hope people will look up legally too, and certainly from the partnership's point of view, how full do you think you are? Have all your 24 lawyers got 60 cases on the go at the moment? We much? are, we're close. We've been running, interestingly, for the last six months at 50%. Um, we're now up to about 85%. But that we were is... massively under, we were massively over-resourced, yeah. Okay, yeah. and that had come off as a result of all the nightmare. chaos we had at the end <laughs> of last year, the beginning of Absolute year. nightmare. You talk to any lawyer, the first six months of 2023 have been pretty horrible. Yeah. yeah. To be fair, whenever market <laughs> conditions change, there's always at least a three month hiatus where people stop and think, what am I going to do next? Yeah. I can't see that people are going to stop buying. It, Maybe they buy for less. It's fine now. I've got to say, um, we've, we've had a very stable pipeline for the last two months. And it's good news. It's, it's really there good. There you are, guys. You've heard it. You've heard it. It really is. <laughs> okay, Peter, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Absolute pleasure.